Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from Converge Church, now in progress. We're going to pick up in Esther 2, verse 5. All of that was the introduction to the message. It's starting right now. Yes. (laughs) Esther chapter 2, verse 5. It says, In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair. Is it Jair? The son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jokinai, him, Jay, (laughs) king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadasha, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And so we get into the story of Esther. So this is Esther's beginnings. We don't have an age at which her parents died. There isn't anything said about them. There isn't any information given given about possible siblings. But this is her cousin who is now taking her in as his own daughter. And I was listening to uh, an audiobook yesterday, and I uh, Ava DuVernay did the... Uh, the introduction, the foreword in the book, and she had this quote. She said she was at a really low place. Ava DuVernay is a, she's in Hollywood. She's a director. She's a writer. She's a screenplay writer and all of this. So she did the foreword to this uh, particular book I was listening to. And she said she was feeling very depleted. She had been going about four years without having a weekend off, without taking a vacation, and she was just spent. But she said that one of the set directors that she was working with said this to her or was talking about a situation. Nothing bad ever ever happens to me. It's all to learn and grow. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to hide that in my heart. Nothing bad ever happens to me. It's all to learn and grow. And then I thought about Esther, and in knowing the story, I thought, it seems like Esther had that perspective. You don't find her at all whiny or needy or um, self-loathing about her circumstance. But the Bible is very clear to point out, and the Bible does not uh, have description just for description's sake. It said that she was lovely, which speaks of her character, and beautiful, which speaks of her outward appearance. And I thought, wow, that really is true. And I think Esther had the perspective that nothing bad ever happens to her. It's all to learn and grow. Can I jump in for a second? Mm -mm. It says in verse (laughs) 7... Nothing bad ever happens to me. It's all to learn and grow. So I take a seat. You may have it, my king. No, no, no. I'm going to go fast. No, no, I'm going to give it right back. I'm going to give it right back. It's critical. Notice, notice what, what, what Pastor Wendy just read. Uh, Esther's an orphan. No father, no mother. She's taken in by her cousin, Mordecai. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, will make pain our prison instead of our platform. Listen to me. 
Esther had every right to be mad at the world. Esther had every right to have a chip on her shoulder. But when we're introduced to Esther, remember we're talking about our life song. What's the sound or the soundtrack of your life? When we're introduced to Esther, she's introduced as someone who was both lovely and beautiful. In spite of her circumstances. John Maxwell said it this way. In life, it's not about what happens to you that matters. It's what's happening in you. Listen to me. It's about what we allow to happen in us as a result of what happened to us. And here is Esther now who has a lovely disposition in spite of everything she's lost. Let me tell you something. There's a, there, uh, when we talk about life song, your life song, it speaks of your disposition. How people experience you. Man, she's always walking around with this dark cloud over her head. Listen to me. If we don't process our pain correctly, two things are going to happen. We're going to come to the relationship with a victim mentality. And what we look for is someone to rescue us. Some of you in relationships right now, right now, I'm talking to the men now. The only reason you're in that relationship is because you felt a need to rescue that person. Not because you loved them. And men get into trouble because by nature we're wired to rescue. But just because you see a damsel in, dis in distress doesn't mean it's your responsibility to save her. Or it doesn't mean that's your responsibility to save her by marrying her. My wife and I can, my wife can attest to this. We've had two experiences like that where my wife said, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so are dating. I said, bad idea. And everybody, oh, you're such a beautiful couple. Bad idea. Bad idea. And did it play out the way I said it? Exactly like I said it. Listen to me. Esther didn't, and here's the challenge is, most of us go into relationships because we see the opportunity for what that relationship can do for us. These women who are coming and going through this beauty pageant, this is what the relationship is going to do for me. I'm going to be the next queen. But we forget or we rarely consider what we are bringing to the relationship. What, what, what are you bringing to the relationship? I, I know he's the king. And I know there's an opportunity for you to put a crown on your head, but what you bring into the relationship. Because check this out. Esther wasn't the only beautiful woman. There was 400 of them. What set her apart? It wasn't her appearance. Because there were 400 that looked just as fine as she was. It was the fact that she was lovely. You see the problem with this beauty pageant? When they said, hey, find all these women, the only criteria was they had to be fine. When we're introduced to Esther, we discover that she's not just a beautiful woman, but she has a lovely disposition. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because if all you're looking for is a Xerxes who needs another fine woman, 
he's going to chase the next fine woman. That's why he went through 400 women. That's why he went through four years and still didn't find what he was looking for. But when he found Esther, she's not just fine. She is lovely. There's something about her that's even, that transcends what she looks like on the outside. Oh, snap. This is what I've been looking for my whole life? Not just another beautiful woman to replace beautiful Vashti, but a woman who had a pleasant disposition? Malcolm Gladwell says it this way, that success in life is the result of a series of accumulated advantages. I'll say that again. Success in life is the result of a series of accumulated advantages. Now, the problem with the other 400 women, 399 women was, all they brought was their good looks. Esther's advantage was that she wasn't only beautiful, she had the right life song. It was a life song that Xerxes had been longing for his whole life. Life. One another fine woman. He needed a woman with the right disposition. The right attitude. My question is, what are you bringing to the relationship? What life song are you bringing to the relationship? Because here's the thing. If you come with a victim mentality, you're not only going to look for somebody to rescue you. Here it is. You're going to demand that they do it. Because victim, victim mentality always breeds entitlement. Oh, look what they did to me. I can't believe it. The whole world hates me. And then she's crying, and then you hook up with her. Oh, I deserve for you to be here with me every single day. Don't leave the house. Buy me what I want. Buy me whenever I want. I deserve it. I deserve it because I'm a victim. I deserve it. I'm a victim. You fix me. I'm Humpty Dumpty. I'm broken. So you fix me. You fix me. You fix me. I deserve all your time, all the time, every day. Because victims see themselves as entitled. And they will demand what they think they deserve. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? Not so with Esther. Baby, I'm going to throw it to you. And I just want to... After I read this, pump pump the brakes. That's why I backed up from you like that. Here it is. Chuck Swindoll. We've read this before. But we got to read it again. We got to read it again. Chuck Swindoll. You have that quote? He's talking about disposition. He's talking about our life song. He's talking about attitude. Chuck Swindoll writes, attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, more important than my failures, more important than my successes, more important than what other people think or say or do. It is more important even than appearance. And that's what's happening right here in the story. My attitude matters more. Have you ever met a Stank, beautiful woman. 
fine, but nobody won't touch you. Because when you walk in the room, they can already tell. You're good looking, but I... Or even a man for the women. Oh, I heard one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Come on, right on the second row. He's fine, but oof. Listen, it is more important. I'm sorry. Yeah, it is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break. Listen, a company, a church. Oh, even your house. Two people with a funky attitude is what destroys marriages. Because two of these people now are unwilling to give up their right to be right. And that's why my wife and I always say you can be right or you can live in peace. It's a choice. In fact, we've used this definition for healthy relationships and healthy marriage. Healthy marriage is two servants in love. Problem is nobody want to serve nobody. Everybody in that tug of war, man. In that tug of war. Can I take off my belt? I ain't undressing, sorry. <laughs> Baby, pull, pull, pull on this bell for a second. Wow, my wife's strong. This is what we look like when we're selfish in relationships, not just marriage. You fighting for your right to be right. She pulling that way, I'm pulling this way. But notice, notice, as long as we're fighting for our right to be right, it's pulling us farther apart. She going west, I'm going east. I'm going north, I'm going south. But we steady insisting on getting our way. And we still bragging and praying God for intimacy. But the problem is, you fighting for your right to be right. I'm pulling, she pulling. We're growing farther apart because of our selfishness, because of our attitude. Now, check this out. You can't have a tug of war if one person let go of the rope. Are you with me? Uh, well, hold the bell for a second. Thank you, baby. You can't have a tug of war if one person will just, little by little, stop insisting on having their weight. What happened to the tension in the rope? Okay, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to wait for you to be right. I'm going to do what's right for me. And when I say right for me, I'm going to do my part. The problem with marriages is people say, uh, husband, love your wives. Wives, uh, submit to your husband. Respect your husband. It's like the chicken and the egg. We're like, which one going to come first? Well, I'm going to love you when you respect me. The wife said, I'm going to respect you when you love me. What if I said, I don't care what she does. My part is to love as Christ loved the church. And then what if Wendy said, I'm not going to worry about whether he loves me or not. My part is to respect him. Guess what's going to happen? We grow closer together. What happened to the tension? It's gone. We grow closer together. Ooh, baby, I'm going to kiss you. Lord Jesus, that's on my cheek. You said you were going to kiss me. I know, baby. Y'all see that? It's attitude. 
It's attitude. This is what Esther is bringing to the table. Let me, let me read. The remarkable thing, thank you, baby. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. Victim or entitled or whether I choose to be lovely and beautiful. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. Listen to this. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. So here's a young orphan girl who is not allowing the fact that her mom and dad are dead. She's not allowing the fact that she's also a refugee, a Jewish refugee living under Babylonian, first Babylonian captivity, now Persian captivity, steal her attitude. Baby, it's all yours. Thank you, sir. We're going to be down at verse 7 in chapter 2. No, we're going to go to verse 8. So it was then the king's command and a decree were heard. And when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Mr. H. And Esther was also taken into the king's palace, into the care of this particular uh, eunuch, the custodian of the women. So they had eunuchs in charge of the women. And so what happened, I don't know. I know just to make it more relevant, we talked about the women's desire to be queen, but I don't know how much of it was their desire or that they were picked. Because remember, the advisors around Xerxes, that was job security. Hey, I'll go all around. We'll get, you know, 60 men to go all around and find these women and bring them back to you. And so... The women had to be, uh, the reason why they were given treatments for an entire year were twofold. One is because of the culture then, and there was no dove and suave and cologne and perfume. And so the body, though they were beautiful, the body could carry a very heavy odor. So the reason why they had the women in all of these oils and baths for a year was to get rid of that smell before they were presented to the king. I hope the king was bathing too. But anyway, and another reason is because though these women were supposed to be virgins, they were left an entire year to wait and see if by chance one of them was pregnant so that the king would not be responsible to take care of another man's baby. So that was kind of twofold. So here Esther has found herself and she is, uh, in the palace, she's given favor with one of the eunuchs. I'm at verse 9. Now, the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her. So he saw, oh, okay, she's beautiful. We can get her ready. I guess some of them got checked off the list. Uh, well, this was the eunuch who thought Esther was beautiful. There were seven choice maid servants provided for her from the king's palace, and so the eunuch moved her in and the maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed, I'm at verse 10, had not revealed her people or family for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. 
And so, again, I did some study because I thought, okay, they believed in the one true living God. So why was she holding it? And it wasn't that she was holding back. One of the commentators that I studied said it was almost like, say, for instance, you have, you know, maybe um, somebody who is a part of Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. Some of us may say, no, 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 I go to church, I believe in Jesus, and slam the door. But some of us just wait. Listen to what they have to say so that when the opportunity presents itself, then maybe you can introduce them to Christ. So with Esther was taking the latter stance based off of Mordecai's recommendation. Remember, he raised her as a daughter. And what we also see is she honored him as a father. She didn't have the attitude, okay, well, now I'm in the king's palace. I can do things my way. Mordecai had said, don't reveal this just yet. And so that's what she was doing. She was obeying what he had had asked her. Mm -mm. In verse 11, and every day Mordecai paced in front of the courts of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what had happened to her. I'm going to go quick. No, this is important. But I'm going to piggyback off of what Pastor Wendy said. Okay, so earlier we said what Malcolm Gladwell said, right? Success is a result of a series of accumulated advantages. Her first advantage was that she had the right attitude. Her second advantage was her wisdom. All right, so, so listen to me now. Mordecai says, you're a Jew, but you ain't got to tell nobody you're a Jew. Now, most of us will say, you, you'll know how most of us are. Why? Well, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to do me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to what the scripture says. The Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 11. Can you put that on the screen? Proverbs 29 verse 11. I'm talking about what you're going to bring to relationships. This isn't just marriage. This isn't just limited to marriage. I'm talking about all your interpersonal relationships, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your friends, your relationship with your coworkers. Listen to what it says. I call it the believer's fifth amendment. You ain't got to say everything that's on your mind. Listen to what, listen to what it says. It says, a fool vents all his feelings. For those of us who say, well, I'm just going to speak my mind. Well, I just tell it like it is. The scripture calls you a fool. Well, I just keep it real. You a fool. According to scripture, not Pastor Ray. But notice what the wise man does. But a wise man holds them back. Let me tell you what Esther was bringing to the relationship. She was bringing a life song, a disposition that was pleasant, but she was also bringing wisdom. Let me tell you what else she was bringing to the table. She was also bringing something that's lost on just generation. She was bringing teachability. You can't tell me nothing, Pastor Ray. I already know. You can't tell me nothing. Can't nobody tell me nothing. And that's the problem. She was the one with the beauty, but she listened to what her cousin Mordecai, you can't tell me what to do. You're just my cousin. You ain't my daddy. You ain't my granddaddy. But Mordecai, her cousin, she listened to his counsel. She didn't only listen to Mordecai's counsel. She listened to the counsel of the eunuch. Even though she was fine, she listened. What were her advantages that caused Xerxes to pick her and say, you different, girl? 
it wasn't just a beauty. At least there's two things we see already. There's so much more that's in the text. But I'm going to yield to the distinguished lady from Michigan. <laughs> and so in point two in your notes, we have a uh, she, meaning Esther, did not internalize her pain. Mm. Internalized pain often results in victim mentality or entitlement mentality. She did not internalize her pain at the loss of her parents. And number three, what Pastor Ray just talked about in your notes is that Esther was teachable. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day, Mordecai went and paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. That wasn't an ulterior motive. That was a father's heart. Good, good. He was uh, wanting to see, is everything okay with her? Do you need anything? Mm. And she was able to get word to him because of her disposition. She had received favor. Favor. Now, let's skip down to verse 15. Can I say so? Mm-hmm. Yes, my king. Say that one more time. Okay. My bad. My bad. So, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Here's why being teachable is important. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Who you are and who you are becoming is a direct result of the voices you've chosen to trust over the course of your lifetime. Listen, you can't find favor with Xerxes ignoring Mordecai. Man, that was tweetable. Listen to me. Most of us want Xerxes, but we're not willing to listen to Mordecai. Whose voice other than your own will you trust? It's a big deal. Let me tell you number four. I'll read number four, and then I'll say something. You had something before, number four. Okay. Musicians can come. Come on, baby. Go ahead. Sorry, baby. All right. Uh-oh. I'll get that in a minute. What we see here with Esther's attitude, that is a choice, despite her circumstance. And so one of the questions, I'm listening to a book called You Are Enough. And so mm. in that, there was a question, and it says, are your choices putting you in a place of inner turmoil and lack? Or are you feeding the light within you? They're not talking about, in the book, it's not talking about the light of Christ. But can our choices, regardless of our, sister, uh, our circumstances, put us in inner turmoil and lack? What Esther was doing with her good attitude, she could survive with clear conscience. She was listening to Mordecai doing what he was saying. She was actually listening to the eunuch. Because of her disposition, she had favor with the eunuch. The eunuchs were in charge. You know, if you don't know what a eunuch is, eunuchs were castrated men that served uh, with government officials and kings in their palace. The reason why they had been castrated is because the kings did not want any hanky-panky business with the eunuch and the women that would be a part of their concubine. So these eunuchs, they were usually big and strong and able-bodied, but they were, against their will, um, given into service. And so this particular eunuch was the number one guy, and he noticed something about Esther. And what, for the, for the lack of time, um, 
what we find as you keep on reading in chapter 2, starting at verse 15, what happens is the eunuch tells Esther, don't be like the other women. See, what happens when the other women were going before Xerxes, they could request anything they wanted of the king. And so they could say, can you take care of Big Mom and them? Or, oh, I would love a new Louis Vuitton bag. Or they could request anything of the king. And so what the eunuch told Esther says, when you go before Xerxes, don't ask for anything. Don't ask for anything. And she listened. The reason why we'll find as we continue on in the weeks that was so vital is because there'll have to be a revelation of her, her nationality, her heritage. And she is going to ask a big ask. But because she put that aside, her own feelings, I think maybe what we don't hear in the story, but what I see is a gratitude. Absolutely. I see maybe Esther was very grateful that her uncle took her in. In that culture, not having parents automatically meant she was bound to be a slave. And so having that covering and listening to him and being just thrown into this world that she probably had no idea of what she was getting into. And we don't see where she chose this for herself. We see that she was picked and she continued on with favor. And I think is that number four? We had uh, number two is she didn't internalize her pain. Number three, she was teachable. And now you want to do number four. All right. And we got to let y'all go. But I'm just going to say this. No, that's next week. There's more. There's more. That's next week. We're going to tell you how the story ends. Because you got to come back next week. But here's, here, 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 here's the deal. For most of us who are Christians, we think that favor is just this kind of elusive thing that God does for certain people. And, but listen to me. Uh, you can't attract the favor of God with a bad attitude. There are things that we do that will attract favor with God and man. Esther was favored for a reason. Yes, there is divine favor where God handpicks, he hand selects. And here's the, the interesting thing about the book of Esther. The name of God is never mentioned. There is no direct reference to God, to Yahweh, to any divinity. And you know what that speaks to us? Is that even when God is not overtly present, he's still at work behind the scenes. Listen to me, as people of God, we don't believe in coincidence. We subscribe to divine providence. And the entire book of Esther is about divine providence. And you know that they have this sense of who God is because when, when the turmoil begins, uh, Esther is deeply spiritual, she's prayerful, and she tells Mordecai, tell all my people to fast. So if they were fasting, we know that they acknowledged God even though there's no mention made of God in the scriptures. And that was one of the reasons to say the coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. So, so listen to me now. So Esther doesn't experience the favor of God for no reason. Let me tell you why. Put this on the screen and then we'll wrap up, unless you have something else to say. You, you, I want you to close. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. As we leave this place, I just want us to know this to make this a part of our life song. 
So that when we leave this place, you and I can begin to walk in the favor of God. Notice what it says. It says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. So stop there for a second. Uh, one, one translation, I think is the NIV, it says, let not love and faithfulness. Don't let love and faithfulness ever leave you. If you're going to experience the favor of God, be someone who walks in love and who is faithful, who is trustworthy. And then it says, put love and faithfulness around your neck. Or you could say mercy and truth. Put mercy and truth around your neck. And it says, bind them on your heart. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. Then, listen to me, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Listen, the favor of God shows up where we walk in love and where we are faithful. The favor of God shows up where we are merciful and we walk in truth. That means loyalty. One translation says, one translation, again, we read faithfulness. That's where God commands his favor because favor is not attracted to ugly. And when I say ugly, I'm talking about attitude. The reason Esther found favor with God and with man is because she bound love and faithfulness around her neck. We're talking about the advantages that Esther had that we can bring to every relationship we have because that was her distinction and those were the things that set her apart in the midst of 399 other beautiful women. And so we talked about Xerxes and his foolishness, and now we've introduced you to Esther next week. The book of Esther actually has 10 chapters. Next week, we are going to see how her favor wins the ear of the king. And so it's going to get juicy again. It's going to get really juicy. An entire nation is about to be wiped out. This fast is going on. Uh, You can't come before the king unless he sends for you. So then Esther has to risk her life. Like going before the king and he didn't send for you, you could actually be beheaded. So she ends up having to risk her life to go before the king. I mean, it is, there's this guy named Haman who's trying to get her uncle killed. I mean, it gets, I mean, it gets off the chain. Atlanta housewives don't have anything on this. Now, it, but we're not going to cuss, so, and we're not going to fight in the restaurant. But anyway, it is good, so we're going to see how in relationships, it can be a marriage relationship, it can be your work relationship, it can be with family, even with friends, how our attitude and our deciding to do the God thing, because it is the right thing, how it wins us favor, and how it will save lives. One thing that I notice about the story when Pastor Ray will say all the time, as I close, you know, if you uh, aren't careful, if you don't heal from what cut you, you'll bleed on those who, who, who didn't do anything to you. And so in all of this, when people are unhealthy, it wasn't only Xerxes who was unhealthy. We're going to see a battle of unhealth with his right hand man, uh, Haman, and all that goes on. And just think, the reason why here at Converge we really talk about emotional and spiritual health is because of Xerxes' unhealth, there were 400 women who were put away for the rest of their lives. Not having children, away from their families, just stuck because of 
one unhealthy man, his refusal, his ego needing to be stroked because he could have led the other man. He was the one in charge. So you got one unhealthy man who allows the unhealth of many men to bleed out. 400 people, that's an entire city. I mean, well, McKinney High School has 1,000 students. <laughs> right. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. And so when we're talking about being healthy and about being your best for God, it's not just for the comfort of the church. So good. It's so our families can be healthy, so our children can operate in health, so our young women know that when an opportunity presents itself, that they just don't run with it at face value. Come on, come on. That they know so who they are so deeply That they can make a choice. I'm fine, but I'm going to stay in the house. I'm not going to let them see me. So repeat after me, everyone. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Remember to stay connected with us on our website, weareconverge.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at weareconverge. You can also partner with us financially by giving safely and securely online at weareconverge.com backslash give. Thank you and God bless.